Welcome to Watch This Space, the podcast about future of work. Every month, we bring you insider perspectives on how digital transformation, emerging technologies, and generational change are shaping the future of work. We are two analog guys finding the groove for all of this in today's digital world. I'm John Arnold, and these trends are my focus as an independent technology analyst in my company, J. Arnold and Associates. And I'm Chris Fine. I'm an independent consultant and strategist specializing in workplace technology, IoT, and security. And my company is Integrative Technologies. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Ditto. And welcome to a new year, right? 2022. Unbelievable, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I might be dating myself, but I remember when I was in college back in the well a few decades ago thinking back then what would the world be like in the year 2000 and now we're like 20 years in and you know what 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 i thought the world could have looked like then thinking then what the world might look like today you know it's just like another leap of of unimaginable changes and uh It'd be interesting to argue if we're better off or not. I, you know, obviously we are in some ways, but in some other ways, I'm not so sure. So, but time does march on and here we are. And I think the most notable thing for you and me, Chris, is this is the first episode of our fifth season. So wow. I think that's a pretty good uh, milestone, huh? Yes, it certainly is a pleasure every month to do it, John. I always appreciate it. Uh being your co-host here and to anyone who might listen we always appreciate your uh, your listening yeah i would totally agree with that and you know we're we're i think we are almost like just like a married couple <laughs> that's been doing this a long time <laughs> it depends on the couple maybe yeah. it could be better than some could be worse than some yeah but we don't really i don't think i noticed the passage of time so much you know and uh uh, you just kind of get into a, a groove and it's just, just, this is just, you know, we have our routines and, and doing this podcast is just for me anyways, it's just part of the, okay, every month I do this and I do that. And the podcast is one of them. And, you know, we just uh, keep it going. Well, there's always something to talk about in our world of focus, right? Yeah. I think that's the main idea, right? I mean, I don't think we'd keep doing this if, on tech if it wasn't interesting right and 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 i think for the listeners out there who know just even a little bit about us you know we could just screw it and just say forget about the tech we could just talk about you know music and culture and movies and books all day long just as well um and maybe we'll find a sponsor out there who could get us going on that tangent too someday could be we certainly could uh, but tech is always fruitful for, uh, and especially since we tend to talk about sort of a combination of tech and human factors uh, and business factors, which has proved to be a pretty good mixture to think up stuff every month. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, considering where we're coming from, right? I mean, if we if we go back long enough and we're, it's easier for us to say these things now that, you know, there are fewer people out there who come from a purely you know analog world where 
telephony was something that was plugged into the wall and never moved and you know your phone number never changed and it was something that you shared with other people i mean it seems unimaginable by today's standards and you know in those days very little changed right there we there wouldn't have been much to talk about at least for tech right yeah i mean i i always feel like you have to look at your level of experience with a grain of salt because it can limit your thinking and i can certainly think of times in my life when i've let my experience limit my thinking and then there's been other times when it's really helped because it's given a perspective uh, sort of a three-dimensional view of things that makes it easier to understand what's going on so you always have to take it with a grain of salt but in general it's it's i think it's been enriching to have a little bit of background to apply to whatever it is yeah totally agree right you you, you it's easier to appreciate innovation when you know where it's come from i i i i think about media a lot and you know you think about the uh ones that survive um and and keep going so i think about like physical newspapers which i know people don't read so much anymore but the format really hasn't changed and i enjoy reading the newspaper as much as i did as a kid and it's a different experience from reading news online, you know, or, or just relying totally on digital sources. And yeah. um, it, you, you don't realize, I think, if you don't read newspapers, then you don't know that there are other forms of taking in information in printed form. Anyways, I, it, every technology is like this. And, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, telephony and how it's radically evolved, but it's easy to forget that telephony didn't evolve much for many decades right well you could argue that i mean uh, there were many many technology breakthroughs but the the nature of the service didn't as much right that was always the critique of the old telecom regime whether it was the ptt's in most countries or the bell system in the us it was that they were it took them so long to get what they called universal service and be so focused on very high quality of a limited number of services disseminated as broadly as possible a lot of the technological breakthroughs were involved with that as opposed yeah. to broadening the role of telecommunications you know beyond a certain point because it took them decades to just get the regular universal service out there and to invent all the switching technology and everything else and transistors and amplifiers and all of the different things it took to just run a network that big that did a limited number of things but then once they'd invested in all that what ultimately helped to get them was um it really wouldn't was was a huge investment in a relatively small number of functions and when when the idea of the internet came along where it was just a very standards-based universal network that you could run anything over the I, the, the writing was on the wall. But, you know, I think for me with technology as much as everything else, what I find, what I found the most fascinating, I think, is how your perspective changes when more data becomes available in history. I'll give you a good mm -hmm. example. Not only, the, not only the history of telecom, but I've had a greatly rekindled interest in space, space exploration and space history. And I don't know if you've really been following it, but there's a lot of activity going on right now, 
there's a lot of new funding. There's the private companies. There's the space telescope, the James Webb, and all these things going on. And one of the things that I discovered was that there had been an incredible amount of information and history from the Apollo program that had become available that had mm -hmm. just been really kind of restricted or locked up for years and then until there was enough interest and they released all of it. So you can look back on it as a historian does when he or she has access to so much more information and you get a whole new richness and depth of, in, of interpretation and learning about the history. And that's happened to, to me with my various interests like World War II history, a huge amount came out decades after the fact was declassified and what happened with Watergate and all these events that I always was fascinated by. After a period of time, you get a whole new historical perspective, not only from yourself, but because more information becomes available. It's almost like an archaeological discovery, you know, and I, I think that's been really interesting. And I, I think that's just going to continue. And you could, you know, there's many critiques of the internet as, and I share them, but one thing it has been good in is disseminating all the stuff that's now become available because libraries and archives and agencies can basically make it available for free. And I, I see that continuing. Yeah. And I think that speaks to the value of, uh, of digital technology there, right? When you can digitize source documents and make them available, all of a sudden, you know, they can be disseminated and shared and, and uh, reach a broader audience. And yeah, for people who want the, the, a fuller picture of whatever the history is you're interested in, wow, it gets much more, much more interesting that way. But of course, there's always a caveat, right? Because you have to, you, you have to know you can trust the source. Oh, of course, you have to use original material and you have to be careful yeah, of course. You know, very easy for the state to rewrite history and, uh, you know, keep it classified and then, you know, can be redacted and all that stuff and then just share the whitewashed version that they want the world to see. There's always that element. I don't want to be cynic about it, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, it's, it, I guess what I'm saying is it, it's, it, it's, I think, more and more difficult to get information in pure unfiltered form other than being with the precise source documents that you know are the real thing for sure for sure i also think in the in the context of technology the other thing that's been surprising to me again as information has been released and there's more of a historical perspective on things is you know what are the good and bad side effects or collateral from technology you know, mm -hmm. and so, for example, you know, there are some that we thought were all going to be a panacea and then they've had all kinds of side effects, you know, the Internet being one of them and social networking, etc. But, you know, you can have the reverse, too, like with the space program where, you know, I think for many years it was sort of stereotypical. People thought, ah, we didn't aside from landing on the moon, which is not nothing. We didn't get a lot of societal benefit from that. But except for Tang, right? But actually, there were tons of developments in that program that we use every day, including in telecommunications. And I really, until I started studying it and it all came out, I hadn't been familiar how influential that was. And so, 
it's that's an interesting thing too is you just never know what's going to come out of something um so we should we should think about our topic though like on that note right like Mm -hmm. everything that's going on right now you know we look forward has our view changed you know since last month really when we started to think about you know what do we think is going to go on so i'm i'll throw that your way first and see what you think yeah well i think chris you know we the the omicron storyline is probably the biggest thing going right now and it's obviously not just a tech story um and you know for the most immediate day-to-day activity it's about okay so for people who want to travel and go places there's still a lot of people who are kind of unfazed by it and will just keep doing what they do but it really has, um, I think, put a damper on a lot of things short term. And you get into my world of, you know, industry events, conferences and say, oh, boy, you know, just when we thought, you know, we would have been out of the woods last year. Here we go again. And it's forcing the hand of a lot of um, well, every, all on the food chain of, 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 you know, attendees, exhibitors, producers, promoters, all that stuff. Um, to think about, okay, well, in our world, you know, for example, Enterprise Connect is the big event, and that's in early, I'm trying early, but anyway, it's in March in Orlando, and two years running now, that show has had to been put off and virtualized. And now I'm starting to think, well, you know, we've, we've got our Future of Work event coming up in early February. Right now, it's like, hmm, I don't know, could be, maybe not. And so I, I think the longer... Omicron extends this kind of pandemic. I guess we're not ready to move from pandemic to, I guess, endemic. But as long as it's out there on that scale, you have to think about like longer term, like we can adapt to anything for a year or two, right? But I think once it starts to harden around, you know, three plus years of of change and, and restriction, I think you really have to think about the sustainability of some of these activities and businesses that we've been taken for granted for so long. And, and certainly conferences are a prime example of that. And, you know, if we have to kind of concede that we're going to be doing mostly virtual for the foreseeable future, that changes the way companies go to market, the way they launch their products, the way they, you know, network with their partners and their buyers, etc. And that has its own kind of impact on the tech ecosystem, right? And the way new companies come on stream and and try to, you know, make themselves, you know, insert themselves into ecosystems or try to create new ones so they can find homes. I I just think it's interesting the longer these kind of this holding our breath about these things extends to realize, you know, maybe we, we have to start, you know, inventing new ways of doing things. Yeah. Yeah. I also think I agree with that. Um, I think there's probably, you know, if people woke up one day and said, I'm not, I'm not more worried and I'm not under more restrictions that it really could spring back to some degree. Cause I do think there's some pent up demand, but one thing that I do, I think in all elements of getting back to business as it were, is I think that the reboot is strong is 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 more complex and perhaps longer and tougher than people thought right 
you know, people, people, I think a lot of us thought that it was a little bit like a switch, like you could turn it off. And, you know, at some point, arbitrarily, when the risk got low enough, you could turn it back on, and it was just going to go. But, you know, the supply chain is a great example of why that's not true, that you can't just reboot. You know, it's not like turning the switch on on the computer. And anybody who's ever turned the switch on a computer after, you know, three years of not turning it on, it's, it's your guess as good as mine. It's whether it boots up without some kind of problem, right? So I do think that in terms of working and events and everything else that that's going to have to be borne in mind. Yeah. Like the longer you go, the bigger the risk to try to go back. Right. So to reboot, for example, a big conference, yes, there's lots of pent up demand. People are just, you know, do anything to get in front of other people again, but the risk of creating an, an environment to support that gets pretty high when you start thinking about, well, you know, what if it backfires and then, you know, you're not going to be able to do it again because it'll just be too risky. So it's, it's hard to know obviously how it's going to turn. And I think a lot of these up and down the, the value chain, you're just hedging your bets. You don't want to, you don't want to miss the boat. If someone puts something out there that's in person and it works because then it it's, it's a winner. But if you, you know, sit back and say, I'll wait till it passes, you know, that may never happen. So, you know, when, it, when I translate that into like our world and the kind of technologies we're looking at, um, this is a long-winded way of getting to metaverse, Chris, but I'm getting there. Um, you know, the more we normalize, as you say, these, you know, virtual environments and ways of doing things, because we can't do it in person, whether it's just working at the office or working from home or, you know, going to a virtual event instead of a real event. Yeah, it, it's, it, it, it kind of hardens our socializations around how we interact and do things. I mean, if we didn't have to interact with other people, there wouldn't be any problems here, right? We just all work on our little bubbles and pods and go on our day, daily work. But, you know, we want to be, we're social. And so we have to find ways to, to do this. And I'm just thinking, you know, as the, the environment becomes more and more kind of stable around having things done virtually, then that gives oxygen to, to virtual in, innovations that support virtual scenarios and, and alternatives. And that, that brings us to metaverse, I think, because there's plenty of, I think, interest to support that in the consumer world where these things generally come from. But uh, when you get into business environments, you start to think about, well, if we're going to have to normalize and standardize around virtual ways of working, then we have to be open to, you know, what, what are the best experiences for doing that? And if we start to normalize things like say, Hey, you know, these metaverse kind of environments, they may seem a little funny and weird, but if people gravitate to them and, you know, adopt them, then, you know, that's what happens. Yeah. On the surface of things, it's really just a new kind of immersive multiplayer game, if you want to call it that. I mean, that's probably oversimplifying it, but it seems to be applying a lot of the concept of game worlds to business, right? Because there's yeah. already millions of people who have virtual reality and very realistic games where they play in real time with other participants 
you know, audio, video, plus the game. And so if you could play a game that way, a complex story, complex outcome, then certainly one would think as a tool for doing business, it, it could work. But I think it's, I, I think as a replacement for socialization, I, 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 I'd struggle with that. But I will caveat that by saying for sure that this may be something where I just don't get it, hmm. right? Or that I don't feel it enough because it's just not the what I do. You know, it's just not the way I tend to operate. It's not what I grew, grew up with. I'm that old, you know? So, but I do think it, I do think in, if it if it offers a better alternative to the somewhat problematic state of collaboration technology right now, then it's going to have real value. Don't what do you think? Yeah, exactly. I just think that you know it's very much a you know a digital generation, digital native thing that for them this will be fairly easy to get your heads around. But when you, you know, when you check all the boxes along the way of, well, what is this good for? Well, if we can't, if it's unsafe to meet in person, this environment is totally safe. You won't get any, you can't transmit any virus working this way. And if you're already kind of enamored with, you know, avatars and, and you know, just having these kind of gamified experiences in your personal life, when you've been doing things this way for a long enough period of time, it becomes a lot easier to kind of say, hey, well, why can't I work like this? I'll create my own avatar. I'll, you know, have my own little virtual worlds here. And, 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 and it starts to morph into things like, well, we have reward systems and, and, and kind of ways of recognizing achievement and, and measuring outcomes. And all of a sudden, you know, the, this is where I came back to innovation. This is where the innovation starts to percolate and then all of a sudden the you know this emerges as a, as a as a different more vibe maybe maybe a, not an alternative but well it is an alternative i don't think it's going to replace webex or teams anytime soon but i think it's going to show that there's other models that certain segments of the workforce are ready for and willing and able to try and um i, I think too again this is more of a longer term look at things but the longer as i say we we normalize our lives around this pandemic kind of way of doing things the more virtual our kind of existence becomes because that's just how we're doing things now and we're we're spending less time face to face with other people so you know it's just a matter of where you, what you're normalizing your experiences around and then as you kind of come to a it's just like the way people took to mobility initially that was kind of a luxury and now it's become, you know, oxygen for almost everybody. And so these things take their own course. And I think we could start seeing more and more of this with virtual work environments. And in that, in, in that scenario, things open up in terms of, well, who could be driving the innovation here? Well, you know, the gaming companies are really, really good at this and who's to say they can't start to work their way into this, collaboration ecosystem because they know how to deliver the right experience and they already have the audience captive now they're just asking them to put their workday hat on instead of their play hat and all of a sudden they're in very familiar territory yeah and i also think that there are some especially in technology there are some core processes 
that you could really see this being super useful for like DevOps, right? Like rapid development, rapid prototyping, agile methodology, and real-time operation. You know, if you had real 3D visualization, for example, of a data center, and you could be an operator of that at, at remotely with that, or be involved in the in the in the configuration in a much more close-in way, you could really see that being super helpful, especially out in the cloud, because the data center could be underwater in the Arctic, you yeah. know, yeah. right? And so I I think there will be processes that where this will be very very useful, and I think there's I think it will gradually you know, variants of it may be more realistic than the metaverse is today, but start to move into kind of that meeting where somebody's sharing a screen, where maybe there's a more immersive way of doing that. And and it's super more interactive than screen sharing tools are today, because screen sharing tools today mostly are predicated on having done 90% of the work in advance. You know, it's not super collaborative in most mm. cases. So yeah. you could see we're adapting this metaverse type technology to certain types of processes could really pay off in terms of productivity. But it's like any other kind of tool, you know, it's a hammer, not a screwdriver, right? So you don't really yeah. want to use it in the wrong applications, either one, either a hammer or a screwdriver. But that's where I think we'll see it evolve. And I think, you know, my sort of my final comment on all this is, I, I think that when we look at the fundamental change underneath a lot of what we've been talking about. It's the removal of the constraints of time and place, right? Yeah. And, and time and place without us realizing it, I think have been fundamental kind of borders on business and functioning for a long, long time since industrialization, when things become, you know, before industrialization, there was much less of boundaries of time. It was the time of, of, of seasonal time and the sun time, right? But not mm -hmm. rigidly governed by clocks. And you didn't go work at a place except your farm, right? Or someplace very close by. And enterprises weren't really global, certainly not real time. So I, I don't think it's going to go back to that constraint of time and place. Uh, I think that I think that organizations, whether it be companies or schools or anything that become successful in the future, are going to have to get that fluidity right. And there's a huge amount of opportunity around doing that and enabling it uh, and getting it right. Um, so hopefully, on a positive note, that's that's what the power that this trauma ends up giving us. Yeah, and uh, I know we're really kind of blue skying a lot of stuff here, but I do think I, I agree with you, and it speaks to this idea that the, the traditional notions of work and and you know what we trade our time for and how we spend it um, are really being altered in this in this kind of new. I hate to call it reality, but it is, and even though that reality is going to be more virtual. I, I always kind of. <laughs> like to play with these kind of terms, you know, what we call virtual reality, you know, it implies that what we're creating virtually is, um, you know, like reality, but not as good. Otherwise, you know, you, you wouldn't have to be calling it something else. But 
well, I think eventually what's going to happen is is these virtual modes uh, are going to get so good and so kind of adopted that for a lot of people, it's actually better. It's a, it's a better reality than reality, so to speak. And I know I'm kind of getting out there with this, but um, I do think that in time, you know, that that term virtual reality will, will be replaced by something else that that kind of characterizes an experience that is of its own. In other words, it's not mimicking reality. It's a new form of reality that we just happen to call virtual. But I think that's going to evolve once it becomes um, a different, like a like a, an ongoing. Not it's not something we just drop into and then go back to our real world. And and this is where, as I say, the longer we become conditioned to these things, the more they become acclimatized. So I, I think one of the things to think about where 2022 is heading is is this idea that well, metaverse we're not it's not you know taking over the world anytime soon, and a lot of that has to do with the capacity of current computers how quickly can they actually you know deliver these experiences and that's a whole other conversation but presuming you can you know that world will take some time to come to but i do think that we'll see more and more references to metaverse type of experiences in 2022 and and companies trying to incorporate that into the way they do things rather than it just being kind of like a geeky thing for for gamers and you know the extreme end of the of the spectrum but i think it's going to become part of the 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 everyday landscape and companies we're going to see a lot more comp company activity trying to create experiences that support that because i think they see we're going into uncharted territory much like we did when the internet came along but you can see that well the technology can support it to a point now and it's got a long way to go but you can start to see already what the promise looks like and i think that's going to be a, a theme we're going to hear more and more about this year i agree i also think that, i mean if, if I, I get a little bit of a worried feeling when you mention some of the things that you know i think it's easy to get confused between what maybe we could call it virtuality and reality and i that worries me and other things too around that that you could imagine but i do think for the industry and the companies uh, you know both customers and tech companies that we follow this is going to be one of the top three or four investment themes for the for this year and beyond because uh you know it's going to be up there i think with you know the continuing migration to the cloud and the the integration of blockchain and you know one or two other major things. I think I think the idea of how you create a more immersive experience that's independent of time and place is 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 right up there. As you look at all the problems we've been talking about for five years with collaboration and UCAS and all telecommunications, you know we kind of stand poised in a, on a world where that is going to have to be solved, one way or the other. You're either yeah. not you're either not going to solve it well, and you're going to have all the hits to productivity and wastage that we've seen so far, or you're going to solve it and really make a breakthrough that really liberates business process from time and place. You know, and it's going to be tied in with AI, which I didn't mention, but that's one of the other top three type of stuff. It's it all kind of gets munged together, and it ends up being like technology usually is. 
it starts out as a labor-saving device, a cost-saving device, uh, you know, a scaling device, and ends up being a transformative thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the last thing I'll say to that, Chris, is, you know, as much as future of work is kind of the focus of, you know, how I make my living, and I think you too, to, to an extent, you know, we have to stay on top of these things and look for, you know, the, the value, the opportunities, ways of getting people to see what we see. Um, but at the same time, I, I also, I, I can't help but think, you know, I, I step back when you talk about being, you know, a fan a buff for history and, you know, bigger picture things. You know, I always remind, remind myself that these are important use cases for these technologies, cloud, AI, et cetera, virtualization. Um, and they're interesting and they have value. But in the bigger scheme of things, it's, you know, I, I like to say, you know, as much as there's a dark side for our privacy and security, all of these kind of issues we worry about and, you know, basically making workers obsolete, which is pretty scary. At the same time, these same tools and technologies are being applied to the, the much bigger problems of the world about climate change and, and you know, uh, providing food security and obviously healthcare. I mean, these are the things that really matter to our long-term survivability on this planet anyway. So you talk about with the space program and all the new interest in it is, you know, I, I always remind myself, like to reiterate, you know, these same technologies, but when you put them to use for these bigger problem sets, it, it starts to make a little, to me, a little more sense as to why we're backing these things, because the capability for these really important outcomes is just you know it's so huge and you can already see we couldn't have come up with these vaccines without these technologies so quickly right we'd still be fighting the first wave we would have wiped us out by now if we couldn't have come up with a vaccine quickly so you know it's it there's plenty of forces of good here at play too well i would say potential for good i worry yes. all the time about <laughs> how things are applied and what the incentives are and competing interests etc but you know certainly one could imagine that as you say that sort of big picture basic science and re and and technology could be applied in positive ways to problems that really need to be addressed it's certainly possible yeah i think so so how's that for an ending note for episode one of season five oh i think i think it's okay i think Maybe we'll focus a little more on a couple of, you know, very practical use case stuff next month. We'll see what happens in the midst of this Omicron wave. Let's watch, see what that does. And we should have more specific data on that. But it's always good to do an episode where we stretch a little bit and think about the bigger picture. Right, John? Yeah. If, all, yeah. if everybody could bear with us this time. That's right. Stick with us, folks. We, we I, th I think we have some good ideas here. So we'll... Um, Cap it at that for now, and then you'll just have to listen over and over to capture everything that we're talking about. How's that? That sounds good. Okay. So that's uh, we're on time for today's episode. So we'd like to thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our podcast, and you'll continue to stay with us as we explore the future of work and beyond, as you can hear from what we're talking about here on Watch This Space. You can access all of our episodes at www.watchthisspace.tech or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. And as always, if you like what you hear and if we are provoking your thinking, that's great. We would love for you to leave us a review or a rating. Just 
let us know how you're uh, experiencing us. And um, that is it. So I'm going to sign off. I'm John Arnold. And I'm Chris Fine. Thank you very much to everyone for listening to us for another month. Thanks, John, as always. And we will see you all next month.